Thank you, Pastor Brian. Let me start with a question. How many of you believe, by a show of hands, how many of you believe in love at first sight? Love at first sight. Okay, there are a couple of romantics here. Okay, love at first sight. In 2007, I met my wife for the very first time. The first time I ever spoke to her, the first time we ever introduced each other to ourselves, and the first time we actually formally met was in 2007, late 2007. And we were married in late 2008, so got to know each other over the course of about a year and got married. But that wasn't the first time we ever saw each other. In fact, we were both in the bridal party of the same wedding about five years before we ever actually met with each other. There are tons of photographs of us standing right next to each other years before we ever met. There are photographs of us uh, right next to each other, where Lynn's right behind my shoulder, where I'm right behind her, where I'm right next to her. Tons of photos. But we never said a word to each other. We never talked to each other. We saw each other, but we never said anything beyond that. Now, you can call that fate. You can call that destiny. You can call it coincidence. You can call it serendipity. But at that moment, at that wedding, little did we know that a couple of years down the road, she would be the luckiest woman in the world. She she just... (laughs) actually the opposite, that she would be the most unlucky woman in the world. <laughs> so, so little did, did we know that we would soon be married one day, even though we had seen each other years before we ever got married. So is it coincidence? Is it fate? Is it destiny? Is it serendipity? What is it that causes these types of things to happen? I was looking up certain incidences of coincidence that have taken place in the world in history, and I found some amazing ones. I want to share a couple of them with you. There were two twin brothers who were separated at birth and lived in two different parts of the United States. They were adopted by two different families, and unknown to each other, both families named the brothers Jim. Both Jims grew up not knowing of the other, yet both of them loved law enforcement, and both of them, in separate parts of the country, became sheriffs. Both had abilities in mechanical drawing, Both were very skilled in in carpentry. Each married a woman named Linda. Both had sons, one of whom was named James Allen with an L-A. The other one was named James Allen, A-L-L-E-N. Coincidence? I don't know. The twin brothers also divorced their wives in the same year and married other women the next year. Both women were named Betty. They both owned dogs, Dogs named Toy. They both named their dog the exact same thing. Years later, they would meet and find out that their lives were so similar. Everything seemed so mirror-like. Coincidence? Destiny? Fate? I don't know. A couple of years ago, we had a chance to go see the Hoover Dam, and there was this amazing statistic about the Hoover Dam that during the course of building the Hoover Dam, 112 people died during the construction of of, of the dam. The first man to die was in December 20th, 1922. His name was J.G. Tierney. The last person to die was Patrick Tierney, his son, on the very same day, December 20th, 1935. Coincidence? Fate? Destiny? In 1820, there were only two cars in the entire state of Ohio. In 1821, they crashed into each other. Dorothy Fletcher was a woman who was traveling on a flight. During the flight, she started to feel numbness in her shoulder and pain in her chest. She was having a heart attack. 
Little did Dorothy know that the two people sitting next to her, the three people in front of her, the three people behind her, the three people to the side of her were the world's most foremost experts in cardiology. She didn't know it. They were all traveling to a cardiology conference on the very same day that she was having a heart attack on a plane. Coincidence, fate, destiny, serendipity, what is it? Today we're going to unpack this chapter, Romans chapter 9, and figure out, is life random? Does everything just happen for a reason, or is it just random coincidence? When Paul writes this chapter to the people of Rome, he's writing with a very specific purpose in mind. But in order to understand it, we have to take a step back. We have to look at what we've been learning over the last few weeks and put it into context with what's happening here in chapter 9. If you've been with us for the past few months, we've been in the book of Romans. And Romans from chapter 1 through 8 is one of the most beautiful treatises on salvation, this idea of righteousness through Christ, this idea that Jesus and God had planned this massive master plan where all of us could be saved because of this master plan. And last week when Pastor Brian was up here, he really reached that crescendo of chapter 8, the final part of chapter 8 where he started to talk about that those whom he foreknew, he predestined, those whom he predestined, he called, those whom he called, he justified, those he justified, he glorified. And if If you remember how Pastor Brian walked us through that last week, it was that he foreknew us, he knew us, and he loved us long before we were born. And then he predestined us, meaning he had a plan for our lives. And then he called us, which means that God reached out to us. And then he justified us, which he declared us legally righteous. And then finally, we look forward to being glorified or completed in eternity, is what we talked about last week. And then after all of this massive crescendo of Paul reaching this huge peak in his discussion and his understanding of everything that Christ had done for him, we come to chapter 9, one of the most complicated and confusing chapters in maybe all of the New Testament. And here's why I feel especially unqualified to preach this chapter, because it's actually one of the most debated chapters in all of Christianity. Uh, For those of you who've been in the church for a while, you may understand terms like Calvinism and Arminianism, these ideas of did God predestine everything or do we have free will and free choice in everything? And these debates have been going on for hundreds of years. So clearly in the next 25 minutes, we're not going to solve those debates. But there is still something that God is telling us through this passage of Scripture and he's showing us so clearly that there is a part that God plays in the entire equation, a very important role that he is sovereign and in control and he predestines and he knows because he's almighty God. And next week when Pastor Brian's up here, he'll be talking more about our role in that, when knowing that God is sovereign, how we respond to his sovereignty. And so after this giant crescendo in chapter 8, here comes Paul in chapter 9, And he starts to talk about something based on a question that he would have likely received. For eight chapters, Paul's explaining that God had a plan, and whenever he has a plan, he fulfills that plan. But Then in chapter 9, he faces an obvious question that would come up from his Jewish believers or his Jewish friends. That question would be simple. Hey, Paul, if God completes whatever he starts then why did he call the Jewish people so long ago and most of them today don't believe in you as Christ or believe in Jesus as Messiah? Why does that happen? 
And now Paul is left to try to answer that question over the next three chapters to show them that even though they think God's plan didn't work, little do they know God's plan was working all along. And that's what he's trying to explain in chapter 9. And everything we read this morning is based on that idea. Paul speaking to the people of Israel and telling them, understand something simple, God's plan has always been constant. God's plan has always been perfect. God's plan has continued to move throughout history, and no matter what we do, no matter what we say, no matter what kings and rulers and and presidents and kings come in the way, God's plan never gets thwarted, and that's what he's showing the people of Israel. He's explaining to them that this, though it may have been a major point of contention, I mean, think about this for a second. If you are a first century Jewish person who had a history, a tradition, a heritage for thousands of years of being separate and unique and different and chosen by God, and here is this guy Paul writing this letter saying, look, I understand we've been chosen and set apart and unique, but God also chose everyone else to find this grace and find this love that comes from Jesus Christ. God allowed all of us to have access to this. That would have been offensive. That would have been very, very offensive. It would have been, wait a second, for thousands of years our family members and our ancestors have been doing things a certain way and you're now telling me that wasn't what God was doing all along? For Paul, this was a major point of contention that he had to clarify with the people of Israel. Is God in control or is he not? Is God sovereign or do we have free will was a major part of this debate. Can free will exist at the same time as predestination? This is the debate that still goes on today in many circles, in many churches. Let me explain it like this. If you were on a cruise ship today, and if you were on that cruise ship on a seven-day tour of, of the Caribbean islands, every day you would get up and you would make choices. You would wake up and say, where are we going to eat breakfast today? You would say, what time are we going to go to the pool today? What time are we going to go to the show today? When are we going to meet our friends and go and do something else and play a game together? Whatever it might be, you would make choices all day and you would have free will to make those choices. But the entire time you're making those choices, that captain is still steering that ship to a destination. And this is where Paul is saying, we all have free will, and we'll understand that a little better next week. We all have free will, but all along, God is moving the world in a course of action. God is moving the world in his sovereign plan with his predestination and his foreknowledge. With all that he knows, he's moving the world in a certain direction, and we are a part of that plan. And that's where Paul is emphasizing that does everything happen for a reason? I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. Maybe it's in a time of tragedy, in a time of sorrow in your life, or a friend is going through a really tough, tough time, and what do we do? We come over to our friend, we put our arm around him or her, and we say, everything happens for a reason. Let me ask you this question. Does everything really happen for a reason? Does everything happen for a reason? Or is that something we just say so we have something to say in that moment? Does everything actually happen for a reason? Well, let's take a look at that in two different ways. Let's first take a look at that if you don't have God in the equation. If you don't believe in God, can everything happen for a reason? In fact, this is one of the main reasons why I chose not to be an atheist in my life. It's because I believe it takes too much faith to be an atheist. I think it takes too much 
unnatural belief to become someone who believes that there is no God. Because here's what happens. If I believe God does not exist, and then I want to tell someone that everything happens for a reason, based on what? Why does it happen for a reason? If we are just random cells that are put together by chance, and we're combined with time plus matter plus chance, and we are just in this world floating around as as random beings who are just doing random things, and then one day we'll die, and then we'll just join the ground, and then the ground will produce fruits and vegetables, and another animal will eat that, and all the other Lion King stuff will come out at that moment. If that's what we believe, then we have to live with the consequences of that belief. And that things don't happen for a reason. That there is no comfort in time of sorrow. There is no peace because ultimately everything just dies. In fact, science teaches us that the universe is expanding, that one day, thousands of years in the future, the sun will just burn out. So what was the point of it all? If we believe that everything happens for a reason, then please prove to me without God, how does everything happen for a reason? You live a short time on this earth. You do a couple of things on this earth. Maybe you do amazing things on this earth. Maybe you saved the environment. Maybe you helped a bunch of sick people get well. Maybe you did a bunch of great things on this earth. But if God is not in the equation, does it even matter? You're going to disappear. Two generations later, they're not even going to remember who you were. And then that's going to pass on. The universe will one day die and everything is meaningless. There is no point in it. Now, don't get me wrong. If you don't believe in God, I don't think you can't have a fun life or a happy life or even a fulfilling life in many ways. But I don't think you can have a meaningful life. I don't think you can have a life on purpose. And I don't think you can ever say that everything happens for a reason. Now let's look at that equation from the perspective of God. If God is in control... If God was the one that's been orchestrating these things from the beginning of time, from the moment he created humanity and set a plan in place to redeem that humanity out of his love for humanity and to one day glorify humanity, to bring us back together with him, to spend eternity with him, if that's the perspective I have, suddenly everything makes more sense. That my couple of years here on this earth, my seven or eight decades on this earth, or ten decades at the most on this earth, actually matter. If I do great things on this earth, they matter because they have an eternity to look forward to. It matters that I was a good father. It matters that I was a good husband. It matters that I took care of my friends and my loved ones. It matters that I came to service and I worshipped God. It matters that I learned about God because with God in the equation... Suddenly, things make more sense. There is more meaning to all of this. I once read a science fiction story a long time ago. This must have been in in childhood, and I still remember the story. The story was of an astronaut who was stranded in space. He was stranded on a chunk of rock just floating through space. And the astronaut knew there was no hope of rescue ever. No one even knew he was alive. No one ever knew he was floating on this massive chunk of rock. And even if they knew, they could never get to him and rescue him. The astronaut had two vials in his hand. One vial contained a poison that would kill him immediately. The other vial contained a potion that would let him live forever. Which one do you think he wanted to choose? He's floating on a rock with no meaning, no purpose, no rescue. The astronaut quickly opens what he thought was the vial of poison and drinks it because he does not want that meaningless life, only to look down and realize he accidentally drank the one that would give him eternal life. 
And now he's left floating on this rock. And the story ends with this sense of absolute hopelessness that this man has to live a life forever that's absolutely meaningless. This is the question that Paul is presenting to the people as he writes to them. Does everything happen for a reason? Is God actually in control or are we just random? Are we just here by coincidence? Is it just by chance that we're here or is God doing something in the background? Is he in control of the entire story? This is what we need to ask ourselves. Is he in control? And what does it look like when he is in control? Paul writes to the church and he says like this, that, and he uses examples of Jacob and Esau, if you know the stories from the Old Testament where there were twin brothers born and God overlooked the older twin and he went to the younger twin and selected him to bring his descendants up and ultimately bring the Messiah through his family. He talks about stories of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah, how God chose these families even though they didn't have a lot to bring to the equation. Abraham and Sarah had no children. And yet God chose them to make them part of the equation that would ultimately fulfill his plan. God was showing Paul and showing us that he does not have to work in the ways we expect him to work. That he finds a way where there seems to be no way. That he is sovereign. He is in control of the entire plan no matter what happens. We may think like this, that doesn't the inheritance always go from the oldest son then to his oldest son and then to his oldest son? And God is showing in this chapter, no, it doesn't necessarily, that God chooses whom he chooses. God has mercy on whom he has mercy on because he is in control. In fact, he even chooses Pharaoh, the the ruler of Egypt that was so anti-God, that was so dead set against God, God even used him to fulfill his purpose. This is what God is doing. This is the control and the sovereignty of God, the perfect control of God, and how important it is that God never loses control. And for so many of us sitting here right now, we're sitting in a situation where we have no control over our lives and over the things we're going through right now. And we're sitting here listening to a sermon about God's control, and we're sitting there going, God, if you are in control, then how come I don't feel like you're in control? Then how come I feel like I have no control over what I'm experiencing right now? I want to share an example that sometimes we think we have things under control, but God is doing things in ways we don't understand and how amazing those ways can be. During the Cultural Revolution in China, and I've shared this story before, and I, please allow me to share it again because it's such a powerful reminder. During the Cultural Revolution in China, there were many, many missionaries coming in from the West who were coming to China and evangelizing China and winning many souls for Christ in China. In fact, many estimates say that in the early 1950s and 19, late 1950s, there was about one million Christians in China at the time. That's a lot. One million Christians converted through the work of Western missionaries. When the Cultural Revolution takes place and Chairman Mao comes and communism comes and they decide we need to get rid of all these Western missionaries, we need to expel them from this country, we need to establish a new China where the West does not influence what we do. As soon as that happened, missions organizations all over the world panicked. They wondered, they worried what was going to happen once the missionaries are kicked out, Christianity would be dead in China. But this is a reminder again of how God works in ways that we don't understand. As soon as the missionaries were kicked out, the people of China took their churches underground. 
And the churches started to flourish and grow, not because of the Western missionaries, but because of the indigenous native population of China who started to memorize scripture and started to treat the Bible as gold, knowing that their Bibles would be taken from them soon. The parents started to memorize scripture and then told, taught the kids how to memorize scripture. And soon the word of God was hidden in the hearts of people and the church grew even though it was illegal for the church to grow. Today, there are estimates that back then there were 1 million Christians. Today, there are estimates there are 67 million Christians in China today. God does not have to work the way we expect him to work, using the modes and the methods we expect him to use. Most estimates today are that by 2030, China will be the highest population of Christians in the entire world. It's not because we have to do things our way. It's because God is in control and no matter who's in power, no matter who's in charge, he is still in control. And this is something even in our daily lives, it's hard to accept that God, you're in control. Even though I don't see it right now, even though I don't feel it right now, I trust that you who started a plan so many thousands of years ago, before the beginning of time, you had a plan. You chose me, you selected me for this plan. And God, even though I don't see it, I just trust you that you're going to do something in the middle of this plan. Because ultimately, we see a small part of the plan. We don't see the whole plan unfolding. Back in October of 1999, many of us were glued to the television when a small aircraft took off from Orlando and started flying with its destination as Dallas, Texas. And some of you remember this story. The aircraft took off, and then before you knew it, CNN and most of the news networks were showing live footage of this, this plane just floating in, sp- in, in air, just floating, and there are no images of the pilot, the co-pilot, or any of the passengers. We can't see anything. The plane is just floating, and it looks like it's pilotless as it's floating. A couple of hours later, we find out that the famous golfer Payne Stewart was on that plane. And we start to see this national panic as what's happening in the plane, what's going to happen to the plane, and finally the plane, which was destined for Dallas, crash lands in South Dakota, and everyone on the plane perishes. It was sad. It was a really tough time because Payne Stewart was known to be a good person, a championship golfer. But the part that a lot of people didn't know was that Payne Stewart was a very devout Christian as well. And for his family, he had multiple children. He had a huge congregation behind him, and they were in deep sorrow over his passing. And when Payne Stewart dies, what we often ask is the question, why, God, were you not in control? Couldn't you have landed that plane in the right place at the right time? Why did you allow this to happen? And in our narrow window of what we get to see, it makes no sense. But here's another part of that story that a lot of people didn't know. Payne Stewart, because he was a championship golfer, his funeral was aired live on national television on multiple networks, including ESPN and CNN and ABC, aired his his memorial service. His pastor came up to deliver a sermon at the memorial service. And that day, hundreds of people gave their lives to Jesus Christ from that sermon that was delivered at the memorial service for Payne Stewart. Hundreds of people gave their lives to Christ. In fact, that church, it's a Baptist church down in Texas, still says it was the day that our phones wouldn't stop ringing, that emails started pouring in, and people were giving their hearts to Jesus Christ because of that memorial service that was broadcast. Now, I'm not trying to say that Payne Stewart was killed so that God could do all of this. Maybe it was a part of it, maybe it wasn't, but I trust that God was in control at that moment, that he's sovereign, that he has a plan and a purpose for everything that happens. 
In fact, there was another part to that story that most people don't know. That same day that Payne Stewart was going to get on that plane to travel to Dallas, that plane was actually chartered by a pastor and some of his friends who were going to go speak at a conference. That plane was the plane they were supposed to get on. They got to the airport that day and found out that the airport airport authorities had given the plane to Payne Stewart and his group, and they'd already taken off. And so this pastor was upset. He was angry that he had to wait for another flight or catch another plane to get to where he had to get to, and he was upset and angry. It was only a few hours later that he finds out that Payne Stewart had died and everyone on that plane had died in that crash. That pastor immediately went home and he ran home and he sat behind his piano and he started to just worship God for unseen grace, for unseen things. And he started to write a song about the moment that he felt God was still watching over him even when he didn't expect God to be watching over him. He wrote a song that Lynn sang for us so beautifully today. That song goes like this. Where would I be? You only know. I'm glad you see through eyes of love a hopeless case, an empty place, if not for grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now I'm found. A hopeless case, an empty place, if not for grace. And over the last 17 years, thousands of people have sung that song and been blessed and worshiped God as a result of it, but that song wouldn't have been written without the tragedy that took place in the sky that day. Do we see God is in control? Even when we don't think he's in control, he's in control. He's got his plan moving forward and he uses his children to unfold that plan on this earth. And you and I are part of that plan. Does everything happen for a reason? It's the question we have to ask. And without God, absolutely not. There's no way that things happen for a reason. But with God, there is reason for everything. There is reason for everything that happens in our lives. There is reason for the plan of salvation in our lives if God is part of the equation. So let me share with you quickly in the final few minutes that we have in front of us. If God is in control, then what does that mean? What does that look like for each of us? What does that mean for our daily lives? If God is in control, I want to present to you three propositions. And number one, if God is in control, then I am a part of his plan. I am chosen. Let that sink in for just a second. The God who created this universe, who designed everything we see and knows everything, specifically chose you and I to be a part of his plan Let that sink in for a while. This is not you and me playing kickball or playing baseball as children and they're picking teams and they say, I'll take you, I'll take you, I'll take you, and then you're the last person picked and they say, what, you're stuck with us or I'm stuck with you kind of a thing. This is not like that. God chose us. He selected us. And this for Paul was such a profound and important point that he had to stress to the people. Jewish people, yes, you are chosen. But understand that the true Israel that God chose was actually anyone that he actually could fulfill his purpose through. That's who he actually called and chose. And that includes Gentiles and people that were never in the lineage of the Israelites. He chose them as well. That you and I are chosen. Let me read a couple of verses about this. Ephesians chapter 1 says like this, in him we were also chosen as God's own, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything by the counsel of his will. 
First Peter says, For you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. First Corinthians 1 says like this, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the world's standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring nothings that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And I I don't think this is something we fully grasp every day. You and I were chosen by the almighty loving God for a purpose. And part of his sovereignty is understanding that I'm part of his sovereignty, that I am part of this plan, I am part of what he's doing. And this morning you may come here feeling lost, that your life is a mess right now, that nothing is going right. But before we even address that, let's address for a moment, you were chosen by God, that you were selected by him, that you are not an accident, that you are not random, that you are not coincidence, that you are not just serendipity. You are here with a purpose. You are chosen by God. Second proposition I want to leave with you is this, that if God is in control, then I am in good hands if God is in control. This is something we have to understand and come to terms with, that because God is in control, I can face things that are outside of my control. Most of life, as Pastor Brian said earlier today, most of us walk in here understanding full well that we have nothing under control. We think we do sometimes. We live under the illusion that we do, but very little of life is under our control, whether it's Jackson getting into a car seat or us figuring out our jobs or our finances or our future. Very little is in control. But when we let God take control, when we place him in the sovereign position, then suddenly it's easier to come to terms with the fact that we have little control, but that's okay because I trust someone who has complete control. I go from an outsider to a son and daughter in the hands of my father. There is a comfortable place of peace and trust because I can trust God that he is in control I can say that before the foundation of the world that he saw me and he chose me and he's in control of my life. I heard a story as a child of a, an explorer, a team of explorers who had went into the Amazon jungle to go and find a rare flower. And when they were looking for this rare flower, they had multiple ways to go and look. They had all this equipment, all this gear ready to go into the jungles and find this rare plant. But as they got into the forest and for days couldn't find it, finally one of the men looked deep into a cavern in the ground and they saw the flower jutting out from under a ledge in the cavern. And as they looked in, they realized one thing for sure, there's no way any of them were going to fit into that cavern and get down and grab that flower. So they went to the closest village to find a way to get that flower and they found a boy right outside of the village and they came to that boy and said, Uh, son, we'll lower you, we'll tie you up, and we'll lower you into that cavern, and you can grab that flower for us and bring it back. And the little boy agreed to do it. But the little boy said, you wait for me here, I'll be right back. And these large men ready to, to lower the boy were waiting by the cavern when the boy runs back to his village and comes back with an old, feeble man, a very skinny, fraught, feeble man, and he comes back with him, and, they, and the boy says to the men, let him hold the rope, and I'll go down and grab the flower. In the boy's eyes, these big, large men served a purpose. They were big and large, but do you know what? He didn't trust them. He didn't know them enough to let them, him lower them down, but the boy trusted the old, feeble man because that was his father, 
and he trusted him, and he knew that that man would never let the rope go, would never let him suffer, and so he placed his life in the hands of one that he trusted. And this is the peace that you and I have today, my friends. This is the peace that we often forfeit, that we often throw out. The peace that knows that God is in control. God is sovereign. God is doing things according to his purpose. And I can simply sit back and trust that promise. I can trust the control of God in my life. I am in good hands. I want you to understand something outright. Peace doesn't come from us being in control. Peace doesn't come from being in charge. Peace doesn't come from me saying, I have it under control, that I have my finances under control, I have my family under control, I have my addictions under control. Peace doesn't come from that. Peace simply comes from knowing that God has my life under control. And that's where that peace comes from. I am in good hands because of God. If you go to the northern parts of this world, you'll find icebergs all over the northern part of our world. And icebergs are the large chunks of rock or are the large chunks of ice in the middle of the ocean. But around most icebergs, you'll often find what are called ice flows, those little bits of, of, of ice that are broken into pieces and they're floating around the iceberg. The iceberg often goes in one direction and the ice flows often go in the opposite direction. You sometimes wonder, why is that happening? And the truth is, it's simple. The ice flows, the little bits of rock, are being pushed by surface winds. The surface winds are pushing those rocks, or those, those bits, all over in one direction. But the iceberg is controlled by a deep, powerful ocean current that's underneath pushing it in the opposite direction. And this is the choice that you and I have every day. It's this simple choice. Do I want to trust the surface winds, the things that are going on in the world around me, the things I can't control to let them push me and let them make me worry? Or do I want to trust the profound, deep push of God and the ocean current that's taking me in the direction he wants me to go in? If God is in control, then I am in good hands. The final proposition we'll make today, if God is in control, then life isn't random. That God, with God, there is reason for everything. John chapter 15 says like this, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Today, are you trying to control your life? Are you trying to take control over everything that you have going on around you? That if I don't get things done by my schedule, in my time, in my way, then things just simply didn't work out today? Or are you just taking time every day to separate time and say, God, I trust you today. I put my life in your hands today. I let you take control of my life today. When the world doesn't make sense, we can rest in the fact that God is in control I want to share with you just a couple of little verses about the, the little points about the control and the sovereignty of God, and we'll conclude there. First of all, Paul teaches us that God's plan is not thwarted by what happens in this world. God's plan is not thwarted by the bill that you just got. God's plan is not thwarted by the diagnosis you just received. God's plan is not thwarted by who gets elected president of the United States. God's plan is not thwarted by who's ruling what country at what time and what place. God's plan is not thwarted by terrorism. God always remains in control. And let me show you some examples of that. There's absolutely nothing that happens in the universe that is outside of God's influence and authority. The book of Revelation teaches us that God is above all things and before all things, that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is immortal and he is present everywhere. 
Colossians tells us that God created all things and holds all things together, both in heaven and on earth, all the visible and the invisible. The book of Romans teaches us that God knows all things, past, present, and future. There is no limit to his knowledge. God knows everything completely before it ever happens. God can do all things and accomplish all things. Nothing is too difficult for him. God is in control over all things and rules all things. He has power and absolute authority over nature over earthly things, over kings and history and angels and demons. Even Satan himself has to ask God for permission before he can act. This is what it means to be sovereign. It means that nothing can shake him, can thwart his plan. It means he's the ultimate source of all power, authority, and everything that exists. Only God can make those claims. Therefore, it is God that is sovereign. It is God that rules. It is God that is superior. And my friends, here is the best part of it all, that God chose you and me. That God chose us. That God loves us. That God set us apart. That God has a purpose for your life and my life. So I ask you again, does everything happen for a reason? And I leave you with this answer. With God, there's reason for everything. There is reason for everything because of God. God's plan is constant. It can't be thwarted. You and I are part of that plan today. As our worship team comes forward to close us out this morning, it's a simple, simple reminder to each of us that life is unconstant, that life is messed up at times. Life can throw wrenches at us that make us wonder, God, are you even real? And we heard it even in our baptism service yesterday with the testimonies, those powerful testimonies that our friends were sharing That peace didn't come when I was in full control. Peace didn't come when I thought everything was going the way I wanted it to go. Peace came when I gave up control and I trusted that God was sovereign, that he had a plan, that he was doing everything according to his plan and his purpose. For those of you who are sitting today wondering, are you a mistake? Are you random? Are you just a happenstance today? Are you just fate or destiny? I want you to understand you are chosen It's very different from being random. You were selected. You were predestined. God foreknew you. And while many will argue what the meaning of this chapter is, is it about the foreknowledge of God or is it about the free will of man? We'll argue all day that we believe it's both. We believe that God knew us and he loved us, but we believe we have a choice to make and he allowed us to make that choice. But here's the more important question. If that is true, then what do we do about it? Does everything happen for a reason? You bet it does. With God, everything has a reason. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you because your promise is sure. Your promise is true, Lord God. God, you are in control, and for that, we thank you. When the world around us seems more and more messed up by the day, Lord God, I thank you that you are in control, Lord. God, when our lives seem messed up, when things just don't seem to be going our way, when we wake up and turn on the news and there's tragedy after tragedy after tragedy that we read about and see, thank you that you are in control. And Pharaoh couldn't thwart your plans. The the kings and the rulers of this world couldn't thwart your plans. Communism couldn't thwart your plans. No one can thwart your plans. And today we thank you because you are sovereign. 
And God, I lift up every one of my friends that are sitting here today who are going through the messed up situations of life and are wondering, God, are you in control? God, I pray that you would reveal your sovereignty to them this morning. Let them know, God, that you have never abdicated your throne. You have never left your power. You have never left your glory. You are still in control, O Lord. God, I pray this morning for all of us who feel distant from you, who feel separated from the control and the sovereignty of God, that we would once again stop taking control and give up control back to the one who actually has it. We thank you for that promise this morning that you are in control. You are sovereign and you chose us. You selected us before we were born, before the foundation of the world. You knew us and you loved us and you set us apart. Thank you for that, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.